Okay, so um, having made that video, I'm going to make a bit of a disclaimer. If you're really into talking about all the details of gouging your eyes out and stuff, we're probably going to fall short of your expectations today, and I'll tell you why in just a second. But uh, Jesus does speak of, of contrast and consequences in this situation. And um, the question that emerged, so we had a great uh, time on Tuesday. We were talking over these things. We are kicking them around with people. Uh, I spent some time, a lot of time actually, thinking about this, praying about try to spend some time with the Lord on it. And I got the impression that we were actually facing a situation that was pretty important looking at these verses about the seriousness of the consequences and the illustrations that Jesus used. So we're going to try to get into that in just a little bit because there's issues here that are positive and important for us to understand. So what about our view of the kingdom and the world? How important is it to see and relate to it as a child? And Dave, to catch you up, that first uh, study that we looked at back before all the summer travels, this is our fifth look at that. We've gone through the ideas of innocence, the ideas of uh, perspective, the nature of a child, of course, how we started. And so just think about that question for a second. How important is it to see and relate to this as a child? When I was first looking at this, uh, I started thinking of it in terms of embracing the characteristics of a child. And I realized about halfway through the study that I was still ensnared a little bit in the kind of mindset that, that we have as, as individuals in the West, where I was trying to take <clears throat> this principle or the illustration about the kids, and I was trying to apply it to myself so that I would be better in my individual role. Okay, And I think that this is the Lord's patience walking me out of that a little bit, because this is a much bigger issue than you or me having a better worldview and a better lifestyle, although that's a part of it for sure. All right, so I think it's really important. So this issue to see the kingdom, this is John 3, verse 1 and 3, and this is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. And earlier we linked this in on this study about being a kid because the consequence of being born again is to produce a, a new life, a young life, okay? So now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God, as a teacher, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So a couple of weeks ago, um, maybe three, we were kicking uh, questions about this childhood and kingdom and perspective around on Tuesday nights, and Sonny came up with a thought that really got legs in my heart. And, and uh, it was that are we talking about the kingdom in the future? So being like a little child gains us entrance into that kingdom in a future sense, or are we talking about the kingdom right now? And he suggested it was the kingdom right now, and I totally agree. Uh, and, and that pointed out one of those weird dualistic kind of things, which is we have a tendency to push almost everything either into the past or into the future. It's either a finished work, back then, or it's something that I'm going to embrace as I move forward. So I really think the Lord is, is illustrating that this is not that kind of thing. It's a little bit different. And so he said that unless you are born again, one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so seeing the kingdom of God is important, obviously, in the same sort of way that entering the kingdom of God is. And the, and the child thing plays a role in that. So is Jesus making a comparison by extremes? I don't know. I don't think so. Let me read the, the passage we're going to be going through in Matthew 10, or Matthew 18, I'm sorry. So at the same time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So keep in mind that this is his answer to that question. 
And there's a whole dialogue here where he just goes from one point to another. We had a discussion, and I've, I've looked it all up myself, about, well, is, Jesus, is this just a collection of random sayings, or is this actually one continual dialogue? And I think that there's reason to look at it as one dialogue because Jesus keeps going back and referring to children. So um, anyway, let's just, we'll, we'll, we'll see. And he called the child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say unto you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of sea. So that's the extreme, the first of the extremes. If you cause one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better if a millstone were tied around your neck. And I found out looking through some uh, uh, Alfred Edersheim stuff because I was trying to get a good grasp on what this imagery was like. And um, I, I, anyway, this is the millstone. This is the word for the millstone pushed by a donkey, not the millstone ground around by you and your house. So it's one of those big old wheel deals that goes around and they throw the grain in on top of the stone. So the, the, the comparison is super extreme. And I except maybe in the Salem witch trials or in a, a couple, uh, I know some of the uh, early reformers got pretty, got pretty stickly about their punishments and people were being drowned and all that kind of stuff. So I can't say that nobody ever took this literally because some people probably did, but I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. And I think that the, the reason that he chose uh, that the huge stone there was to make sure that the disciples understood what he was talking about. And I'm trying to understand what he's talking about. Okay. So uh, the first of these big con concepts is the Matthew 18, six It's the millstone. Um, we could go around a lot trying to speculate and, and say, in other words, in other words, in other words, I don't really want to do that basically right now. Cause I don't want to distract what we're looking at here. This is what Jesus said. I don't think that he was actually planning and, and visualizing a part of the kingdom where people were lined up at the uh, ocean's edge and they were dropped in with millstones. He's talking about some kind of extreme consequence for something that doesn't seem that extreme on its face. And let me repeat it. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it'd be good if a 2,000 pound stone was tied around his neck. Matter of fact, it'd be better. He didn't say it'd be good. He said it'd be better if a 2,000 pound stone were tied around his neck and he was thrown in the bottom of the sea. Because you caused a little one to stumble. See what I'm talking about? Let's just let the impact of the extremity make make some sense, okay? All right, the, the next one here, uh, 18, 7, 8, 9, it's about, it's about these summing blocks. And this is when it goes weird. I mean, it, it, in my heart, it did. It, you break out of this conversation with a little kid. So here's, here's the vision of this thing. So Jesus is sitting on a chair or rock or something, and he has a little kid. Ray, throw me your pillow. You guys have the imagination to believe this is a little kid? All right, so he's sitting this little kid here, and he starts off in a completely understandable way, saying, all right, I'm answering your question. Unless you're converted. Sorry, Riley. Unless you're converted. And like a little child, this little child here, this little child, not just any little child, he called a little boy over to him and sat him on his lap. Unless you're converted and become like this child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, and by the way, if... If this little child, if you were to cause him to stumble, 
it would be better, and I don't know if there was one there, but it was a common implement in the culture. That stone over there that goes all the way from the ceiling to the floor and is that big around like that open area where the TV is and has a hole in it, and normally it has a big beam going through it and you tie a donkey to it, it'd be better if that was put around your neck and you were thrown in the ship. Okay, now they didn't think that was literal. They thought the comparison was literal. They thought the consequence was literal, and they were they were jolted by it. No doubt. No doubt. And so I I don't know if the little kid's still sitting on Jesus' lap, but but it gets weirder if he if he is still there. Because he goes on then and he says he says, uh, woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. Okay? For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to the man through whom the stumbling blocks come. And I think that I just got a, a little deal here that kind of illustrates that stumbling blocks are a part of this world, and the world for world is the cosmos. That doesn't just mean the culture. That means the construction of things. It means the structure of the plants, the trees, the, the, the forces, the creation, okay? The cosmos is full of stumbling blocks and stumbling block potentials, apparently, because it says these blocks, uh, you know, woe to the man through whom they come. So there's something about the way the world is, this world is, this cosmos is, that has the potential for stumbling blocks to keep the journey of this little guy from going somewhere. Okay? And so Jesus contrasts this and compares it with these illustrations. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It's better to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands and two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. All right? Now that is, that is harsh. That's harsh. What's he talking about? In the context of answering who's the greatest, and I still don't know fully how to put that together, he is talking about the fact that if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it'd be better than doing that if somebody just threw a rope around your neck, drug that thing over the edge of the cliff, pushed you off into the ocean, okay? And just on a normal daily level, if your foot or your hand causes you to stumble, don't think it's it's enough, really, to just, like, rehabilitate your foot or get a walking cast or something. He's talking about, he's pushing this. So what is he creating the contrast between stumbling, being a product of the world that causes stumbling. Because remember, he said, woe to the world. All right? I, I, I'm on the verge of either you getting it or me losing you. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. For better to enter your life with one eye, he's holding a kid, than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. We'll talk about that in a minute. Now, the reason I think the kid is still sitting on his lap while he's saying this is because he then says this. See to it that you do not despise one of these little ones. So I don't think he cast the kid away when he was going to talk about the gouge your eye out thing. This little guy is still sitting here in his midst or on his lap. And he goes, he goes see to it that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angel in heaven continually sees the face of my Father who is in heaven. All right, so here comes the contrast, and it's starting to make some sense to me. Jesus is constant and is contrasting 
a world, a cosmos that is created with stumbling blocks in it. And they're stumbling blocks that can manifest through men. And he's contrasting that with heaven. The place where this little guy's angel is seeing the face of God. Does that make sense? All right. Now he goes on. He says, what do you think? Oh, he says, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. I don't know what to do with this particular verse because it makes sense. And the rest of the context, a lot of early manuscripts don't have it in there. I'm not going to make a big textual deal about that. But the, the story continues and it makes sense. One conversation. One continual conversation. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountain and go search for the one he's straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. So it is, again, I think the kid's still here because he said, so it is not the will of your father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. Okay? So he's not talking about a kind of punishment regime. He cannot be. He's not talking about a particular uh, exegesis of a topic like punishment or whatever. He's talking about a contrast. And he's saying, you look around and you evaluate everything in this world by the world. But the world is full of stumbling blocks. This little guy can look and see heaven. Partly because he is connected to heaven. And, and I, I think, if I can say this, if I jump over a little bit, Jesus is still talking. So, and this could be later. This could be another instance because there's a couple things going go in between. But later in, uh, in Matthew 19, it says, Then some children were brought to him so that he might lay hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. So apparently the disciples didn't fully understand what the lesson was about earlier. Okay, which means it's okay for us to take a while to understand it as well. But Jesus said, let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So if I had to pull two things out of this verse that link what I'm trying to say. One is, is that there is, when we experience, when we interact with a child or we interact as a child, we are interacting with heaven in a way that you can't do just with religion. You can't do just with your worship. You can't do with just it. There's something about it because heaven literally belongs to this little guy in the way he sees life, in the way he sees heaven. Now, I think that's true. I wouldn't sit here and tell you if I didn't think it was true. Do I know that's exactly what was on the heart and mind of Jesus? I can't tell you that because, because the nature of these extremes are extreme. But he is, he's, he's pushing the disciples to understand that the perspective that is embodied in this little boy is the perspective that you and I need. Okay? So let me go on just a little bit more because we're here in this conversation. Um, so he talks about the man leaving the 90 and 9, and if he finds it, that, that, that you're going to be linked into something that's going on because it's not the will of your father that any of these should perish. Now he talks about something else that, that seems so out of place with it, but I think it makes a ton of sense once you slow down a bit. If your brother sins, go show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two or more with you 
so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So I stuck it up here. Uh, eight and nine got through that. Let's go to the next one here. All right, we'll get to this in a second. Okay. What I think that we're seeing here is that Jesus' idea... Okay, you can go sit over here. That Jesus's, the idea in his head is he is trying to get his disciples to understand that there is nothing more important than you seeing and living in the kingdom. There's nothing more important than that. Okay? So... so I put here, Jesus' ideas of the kingdom of God is for you and I to see, to enter, to live in, and to release it here and now. Because he goes from talking just about the nature of this child's perspective in the world and the innocence of it and the, and the, and the fact that his angels see there to saying, here's how you treat a brother who's stumbling. It was fascinating trying to do a word study on stumbling. Scandal is the word. It's not hard to understand. But there were all kinds of commentators that were trying to force this into making you sin or making you see things that are the wrong way. I think the purpose of a stumbling block is to hinder somebody who's walking from one place to another. The physical image of it is that it's a board thrown in front of you or it's the the, the bait trap. and it's, It's to try to snare you, to keep you from running free, to keep you from going on. Well, what is the journey that is being hindered? If it's not the journey, from living in and living by this world to living in and living by the kingdom. And he said to Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you won't even see the kingdom. Do you understand that there's a whole bunch of people in our age groups, in our culture, who don't see the kingdom? And if you think I mean only people that don't go to church, I don't. There are, there are people after people that are looking to try, to try to make sense of a, of a, of eternal life and of spiritual life. And they're doing so without seeing the kingdom. They're doing so without looking at the kingdom. And if you go back and you read the gospels, it'll begin to make a lot of sense to you. Jesus walked along declaring the kingdom was at hand and the Pharisees stood up and resisted him. He talked about the kingdom of God coming and the Sadducees resisted him. The scribes resisted him. What authority do you have to do these things when you turn the tables over? He had the authority of the kingdom. He says, I'm not going to tell you though. I'm going to ask you a question. Was John's baptism from God or from men? And they could not answer him, not because they didn't have an opinion, but because they lacked a perspective that they were willing to let their lives be governed by. And that perspective was about the kingdom. You and I are invited. We're urged. We're called to let our life be governed by how we see the kingdom. And that's what the little kid did. That's what Jesus was pointing out. Does that make sense? 
Say again? Uh, it depended on where they were going, I guess. <laughs> if they were headed in the wrong direction, he might have tried to, yeah. Uh, yeah, Ronnie, you got to talk on a mic. Sorry, but that's okay. Ronnie said, did Jesus put a stumbling block? Sorry, guys. Did Jesus put a stumbling block in the, in the face of the disciples? Uh, you know, you could almost say that. I mean, there was another instance where he said, unless you eat my uh, body and, and drink my blood, uh, we'll have nothing you. And they go, whoa, and a whole bunch of people left. So there's something, and I, I don't know how to, the truth is I don't know how to articulate this as well as it should be articulated. What I do know, though, is that Jesus clearly saw his father and the kingdom. And he came to declare it. He came to proclaim it. And he saw that his disciples were not seeing it. Because they wouldn't have asked who's the greatest in it if they had. That would not have been their perspective. Their perspective would have been, where can we take it? How can we release it? To whom can we show it? And I would venture to say that there are a number of us in this room that have a little place, a dualistic kind of place, to put our thoughts about the kingdom, that these are big kingdom thoughts, and those are for people that are, like, devoted. Or those are people that are called or special or something. And we fail to understand that the kingdom's not the future. The kingdom's not out there someplace. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is here. Jesus said over and over again when he's preaching about it, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is at hand. When I cast out a devil by the finger of God, then the kingdom's come upon you. Uh, don't let anybody say, he's over here, he's over there. The kingdom is within you. It's probably the boldest statement, probably the boldest statement in the New Testament. The kingdom of God that you have associated with heaven, the kingdom of God that I taught you, pray this way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's here, right in here. Two weeks ago, I talked about our innocence and how, how challenging it is to believe in our own innocence. Do you believe that the kingdom of God is in you? And if you do, how do you deal with that? What do you do with it? What do you do with it? You, you, you live your life in that awareness. Yes. Okay. Yeah, Jim, fire something. thought just occurred to me, a stumbling block is only a hindrance if you're moving. That is Standing true. It's irrelevant. That's true. And as long as the enemy's just got you chained up, you're in. You're, yeah, it's, there's no journey to, to stumble. But Jesus, I don't think, sees, I don't think he, he, he ever sees us not on that journey. I mean, he came back to reveal that. The minute he got out of the wilderness with the temptation, you know, it says that he began to proclaim the kingdom. He began to proclaim the kingdom. And then if we look at the other end of the journey and somebody that was inspired by him, you go to the end of the book of Acts, and it said that Paul was in Rome in a rented house proclaiming the kingdom. So I, I agree with you. It only shows up when we're moving, but let's move. I mean, let's be moving. What do you got, Ray? A kingdom does not come by observation to be seen by sight. It's okay. within you. Uh -huh. The kingdom of God is within you. So, what do you, okay, what do you think that means? Real, real quick. Well, it, uh, it means that we're looking for 
low here and low there. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, yeah, you don't you don't want to restrict your view of this journey right. to out there on the horizon someplace or out there on the distance. Right. All right. Let me let me power through one more thing here. All right. So I believe that Jesus was doing here with his disciples like he did with Nicodemus. He was stressing the absolute urgency of making this journey from this world and its ways into the system of the kingdom of his father. And it isn't, okay, so let me tell you this, and then I'm going to throw a disclaimer here. This passage of scripture is not fundamentally a teaching about self-mutilation. Okay? It's not fundamentally a teaching about hell or fire or Gehenna or any of those things. Now, I think we're getting close to where we ought to talk about that, and we ought to dig into that. So we're going to give that a shot, but we obviously can't do it tonight. So that's why I was going to apologize for leading you on like I was going to get up here and, and do a hellfire and Gehenna sermon. I, 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 was, I thought I was because I thought there's some connection here. But what Jesus is doing is he is using imagery. He's using the, the, the imagery around them. This was in the culture. He's, he's using the religious connotations and so on and so forth with, with them to say this is how serious this is. You are started in the world. And you've got to be on the journey to the kingdom. And you've got to lay aside everything that would keep you from being on that journey. If your hand keeps you from it, lay it aside. If your foot keeps you from it, honestly, getting there is better than having those. Because the kingdom is what we're about. And then the last one is it's a call to awaken to the present day reality of that relationship with the kingdom of the Father and the kingdom of God in heaven. That's what we're dealing with. Hello? Yes, sir. This is a Pull the mic up, please. There you go. Thanks. It's okay. We're gonna... Very basic question. Yes. And it probably takes uh, probably two or three services to try to cover it, but uh, what is the kingdom of God? Okay. Thank you. Let, let's just say as a working definition right now, the kingdom of God is where God's will is having his way. Where the king's will is having his way. But you're right. There's there's more to it than that. Tim. Yeah, I, we talked about this on Tuesday night, but I thought it was a perfect correlation that you're talking about the kingdom now in the reference to children. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are we anyhow? We're children. We're children of God. Yeah. Up. We're adults now. Okay, so but that's that's children. a really good point. That, yeah. that One of the natures of the kingdom is that it's run by a father. <laughs> and the, the constituents of that kingdom or the stakeholders in that kingdom, the one to whom the kingdom belongs, are children. Go ahead. And the other issue, like you said, Sonny was talking about, uh, yes, I definitely believe the kingdom is now. Yeah. Of course, Jesus is of the kingdom past, present, and future. Uh-huh. And what I'm looking at right now, when you made that comparison, it's extreme, you know, <laughs> mutilation uh-huh. references that, that are made in the Bible. But what I was thinking about that is, and we, and I talked about this the other night, when you think about what's going on with children in this kingdom age, uh-huh. You know, whether it's sex trafficking, whether it's abuse in the home, sexual abuse in the church, you know, you name it. Kids have been involved in that and adults have been a part of that. Mm -hmm. And it's it's not too extreme for me to think that Jesus would make those summations about, you know, what you should do if you cause a child to stumble. But carry that on into adulthood. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so if, if, if... you guys know what it's like when you got something in your background that you can't get beyond. That's a perfect illustration of stumbling. 
And, 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 and it doesn't really matter whether somebody did it to you, you did it to yourself. I just think that what we want to do here, okay, and, and I, I already went through this stuff, but this little one is presented in the midst of all this stuff. We're talking about caring for our brothers. We're talking about uh, the relationship and care that we have one for another. So the kingdom is going to be manifest in here as we act like children and treat one another like children with the respect for the dignity of play, the respect for the dignity of trust, the respect for the dignity of that. But the issue is not just a better way to treat one another. The issue is when I do that, when I treat you like the child that you are, I invoke the presence of the knowledge of the Father that makes you a child. This is how we connect this is how we get from being stuck in this world to beginning to live in that one. This is how. And I don't think there's another way. I don't think there's a religious way. And I don't think that there's a... Uh, you can go ahead and go back and wait, right? Yeah, Vic. Okay, so you said that the disciples in the very next chapter were still kind of trapped in a mentality of not entering into the kingdom or being a child. Yeah, yeah. And then also... Not valuing the children. Yeah. yeah, not valuing children. And then the Pharisees and the Sadducees responding to Jesus the way that he did. So what were they... If they weren't responding out of a kingdom reference, yeah. what were they responding out of? Either a political or a religious one. A political or religious and one. And I think... I think I think that that's why Jesus taught his disciples, beware the, the leaven of the Pharisees and beware the leaven of Herod. Think about our, our world right now. How many ridiculous efforts exist right now to try to govern our lives and turn it into heaven on earth through laws? They're crazy. And, and you can, I've never lived in a time in my life, and I'm trying not to be super cynical, but I've never lived in a time in my life where politics took such a, an aggressive stand on such obviously ridiculous points. But I think it's the insanity of the leaven of Herod. And the same thing goes with religion. You can go all over the place, and, and, and there, you know, that's what I think, where we are, babe, that's what I think fuels trying to make this heaven but we're being asked to engage heaven and bring it here it already exists it's where the king rules and children don't have a hard time recognizing the people in authority in their lives we do we think in terms of giving jesus permission to come into our heart if that's not a screwed up worldview about authority what is? Yeah, Ray. Yeah, it says uh, the, he, the disciples asked the Lord, show us the Father. He says, haven't I been with you this yeah. long and you haven't seen the Father? Yeah. So that was talking about the kingdom. And that was later. That was after this yeah. instance. Exactly it was. And then it, to, to continue that exact thought, because that's correct, Ray, to continue that exact thought out, what was the question the disciples asked Jesus after he had died and risen from the dead and he took them out to the fields outside of Bethany or the hills outside Bethany? Oh, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So they didn't get it, okay? They didn't get it, but it didn't mean that Jesus didn't lay it out for them. And nobody forgot this conversation. 
that was there. Nobody forgot it when he said, you should, you'd be better off mutilating yourself than hindering the journey of this little guy to his father. Because his angels are already there looking. Somehow we've got to, we've got to get it. Now I do think we need to talk about that other stuff and, and, and if you guys want to, we will. But, um, I'm going to wrap up by just, see the disciples walked hand in hand, face to face with Jesus for three years. And at the end of that period of time, they showed evidence of not being able to get it. So we need the Holy Spirit to help us understand this. We need the Holy Spirit to help us understand this stuff. I think what Jesus was doing is he was saying, hey, you know, don't despise this and uh, nothing falls to the ground like this. But this one thing here, throwing a stumbling block and somebody making the journey from reliance in this world into engaging and seeing and relying with the kingdom, that's, that's not good. There's nothing. There's nothing that's worse than that. I think that's where we're at. Yeah, Ronnie. Hello. Here we go. Something we talked about on Tuesday was the ability to say, I don't know. Uh So when and if you're talking to other people about what we're just talking about, it's okay to say, when they ask you a question that you don't know the answer to, to say, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So so here's how I would frame that. And and yeah, and I, I feel like I've stood up here the whole evening and said, I don't really know, but... I think this is, I, I think what we have to walk away from, what I'm, what I'm encouraging us to walk away from this with is, I don't fully understand the reality of this urgency in Jesus' t- teaching here. But there's no denying that it was urgent. And the fact that I don't understand it just means that I need to at least embrace the urgency. <laughs> you know? So... I don't want to dumb down what he said by trying to explain it. I think he chose the most dramatic imagery that he could because he was dealing. He saw in his disciples a transference of the way the world works into their view of the kingdom. Who's the greatest? And he wanted to nip that in the bud because we can't do that to the kingdom. We don't want to, but God forbid that we should do it. We don't want to pull the fabric of the kingdom apart and replace it with a better version of our world. And that's what every religious person since the beginning of time has tried to do. There is a relationship. Um, I think I got one more point down here. So here's the revelation of kingdom authority. Because remember, at the end of this, it goes on down and Jesus gets into the thing saying, hey, whatever you uh, bind has already been bound in heaven, whatever you've loosed. He's talking about the connections of authority, the connections of servanthood, the connections of all this stuff. And it's all about this. And there's two relationships that the kingdom is built on. One of them is ours with each other, or the journey to the kingdom, the awareness of the kingdom. And the other is Jesus being in our midst. I'll read that last verse and then we'll close. Again, I say to you, this is verse 19, that if any of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, 
I am there in their midst. And I want to say that I spent way too much of my life, and I know most of you have done the same, trying to figure some kind of prayer formula out of this. (laughs) And that's not it. And we end up dumbing it down because what Jesus said is that your Father in Heaven is going to give you anything that you can come into agreement about. And I'm going to be with you in the middle of it. That describes the kingdom. God's will being done and Jesus being in the center of it and us being able to fully participate in it. There's more to us. I'll tell you another thing that's exciting to me. Jesus comes out of the the, uh, wilderness and um, the kingdom begins to manifest. He begins to declare it. And the results were people are getting healed all over the place. The The whole framework of the world around him was changing. Some of us have like gotten to the place in our life where we've been there, done that, and, and uh, really wished it would have gone better. <laughs> I don't think the kingdom's changed in my lifetime. I don't think the God of that kingdom has changed in my lifetime. I think what happened is I let some people or myself throw a stumbling block in front of me, and I got detoured a couple of times on that journey. But I think the open-armed invitation of the Father by the Spirit is still on that journey. And I think that's where we're going. And so, God forbid that we should stumble ourselves or anybody else. And I only know about 15% of what that's going to look like if I'm lucky.